0: This is the Develop Basketball Podcast, where our experience is your rise. In each episode, we speak with some of the most experienced coaches and trainers in the industry and tap into their methods of success in player and team development. And I'm your host, Coach Chevy. On this episode, we have Amy Stevens, Associate Head Coach of Memphis Women's Basketball. In her 25 years of coaching, she's had stops at Nebraska, Drake, and Nebraska Kearney, where she was a four-time RMAC Coach of the Year. As a player, she ranks among the top five in program history in points scored at Nebraska and helped to lead Nebraska to its only Big 8 title. Amy was also a member of the 1989 U.S. national team and played professionally in Germany. Enjoy. Welcome, Amy Stevens. Uh, She's the associate head coach at the University of Memphis. Um, She's in her 25th year of coaching. Is that right? Yep. Okay, um, and, and it has a wealth of knowledge. Um, and, and just to begin, what was your playing days like? Like, what was it like to get recruited when you figured out that you wanted to play at the college level? What was that development like? Um, and, and what was that journey like?
1: Well, it's a little bit different, I think, for what the – it's definitely different than what you <laughs> yeah. And partly because I'm, I'm older and when and I didn't have the opportunities that a lot of these young uh, athletes have today um, which I think that the opportunities they have is amazing mm-hmm. uh, you know when when I was growing up you basically you know you went to the gym by yourself and I my dad was a coach and a principal And eventually as superintendents So my dad, I stole my dad's keys and I I would get into the gym and I would shoot and ball handle. And, um, we happened to live in small towns in Nebraska where the boys team was really good in basketball. And so Saturday mornings, we'd go out and play an open gym from seven to noon. Mm. Um, middle school teacher would open it up and we'd play in boys and girls. And, um, but my dad was by far the most influential uh, for me because he was a coach and as a little little kid we'd run around the gym play hide and seek shoot hoops and then he'd start working with us on our ball handling and shooting and so really it was my dad that taught me how to shoot and work with me up until I was about a sophomore or junior in high school and then then I did a lot, really, through my sophomore, junior, and senior year, I did a lot on my own. But the fundamentals, my dad really got those established with me as an athlete really young. So I had textbook shooting form um, because of him and his yeah. ability to teach how to shoot. So um, we moved around a lot when I was a kid. We ended up in Alliance, Nebraska. And that's where I went to high school. And my dream and goal was to play at the University of Nebraska. I had no idea, really, what it meant to get recruited. Uh, nobody, in my, I was the second child of four, so nobody had been recruited in my family. My parents um, were went to college, but they weren't athletes. Uh, my dad played at Doan College for two years, and then okay. he became a team coach. So. You know, we just really were clueless. Um, but my dad always just said, you know, aim if you work hard and you're a good person, you keep your grades up, good things will happen for you. Mm. And, um, and don't worry about scholarship, you know, where there's a will, there's a way, we'll, we'll figure out how to get you to Nebraska. So, you know, I just kept working hard and, and you know, it was back in the day, I'd get up in the morning, shoot hoops, I'd do some running, do some ball handling, then I'd go mow lawns, I'd go be a lifeguard, and then you know the next day it would start all over again. That was my high school routine. And then during the school year, during volleyball season, I'd get up at 6, 6.30, go to the gym, my dad's keys, and I'd either bike or get a ride. I'd spend an hour in the gym every morning during volleyball season. And then um, during basketball season, or during track season, I would do the same thing. I'd get up in the morning, And I was constantly in the gym year round and that, and I, so I was kind of self-developed. It wasn't until my junior year of high school, I started playing AAU basketball. My parents would drive 400 miles from Alliance to Lincoln to get me on an AAU team. And so I did that for two summers and I would run track, practice. And then on Fridays, they'd drive me to Lincoln. I'd play AAU basketball on Saturday and Sunday or practice. And then my parents would drive me home and so they really my parents deserve a lot of kudos because they they fed my passion
0: yeah they definitely. lost
1: something in me and they made sacrifices um my dad officiated high school jv basketball so i could he could have extra money to pay for the gas and the hotels and mm. things like that for so i could play um and you know and then through that process I was recruited by the University of Nebraska. I was recruited by Creighton, and I was recruited by Wyoming. Um, but and I was offered scholarships by all the schools, and but my heart was in Nebraska, and that was my mm-hmm. dream. And so I was I was a pretty easy recruit because I was ready. You know, they offered, yeah. and I was ready to do it. and you know, it wasn't really an elaborate recruiting process. Um, <laughs> you know, because I already knew what I wanted to do, and and I didn't. I didn't. We were naive. We didn't know the games or the manipulation or yeah. <laughs> you know, cool five visits, like, you know, I didn't yeah. even visit Creighton. Um, I talked to coach Rasmussen a couple of times on the phone. I mean, um, you know, Wyoming, I did take a visit because my parents you know, basically said you need to have something to compare to. So right. they really liked the coaching staff. So they, they kind of made me go to Wyoming. <laughs> um, And then when I got back, they said, okay, you can, you know, you can commit to Nebraska. So, um, so that's a little bit about my recruiting way different than what it is. now. Yeah. A
0: little bit, no Twitter back then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: Exactly. No social media, old fashioned phone calls, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe once a week or every other twice a month, you might get a call. Um, and then, you know, and then obviously I played at Nebraska and, and, um, loved my experience there and and then you know played usa basketball and went to germany and then i came back and finished my school and got started my coaching career so um i wouldn't change wouldn't change my experiences i have no regrets about my college career
0: so you um had a very very good set of like I would say principles or something that got you to wake up early in the morning as a young basketball player Uh, because one I think it's a little not that it's easy ever but it's a little easier because that blueprint has been given to a lot of kids you know like there's so many YouTube videos and Twitter things where it tells you exactly what you need to do in order to be successful Uh, whereas I doubt you had that kind of thing like what What got you into that mindset to have those habits or build those habits?
1: No, that's a great question. And I don't know if I can give you a really good answer. I just remember as a little kid on the driveway, um, my dad was working with my older brother who liked basketball, but didn't love it. And I, it's like the little kid with the ball under their arm saying, work with me, work with me. Mm -hmm. But it was, you know, it was the seventies and, Um, girls were kind of into sports Mm -hmm. Um, you know my dad was working with the boys and then something and then they'd go in the house and I'd stay out and do everything he had just told my brother Wow! so somewhere in there and I don't know if it was kindergarten first grade just getting drugged all these boys basketball games that my dad coached you know we were in the gym all the time yeah with him and something in me, I just loved it. I loved basketball. And we moved a lot when I was a kid. Uh, I went to uh, four different elementary schools, K oh, wow. through six. And I think basketball was kind of a release. It was, it was a way to fit in.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and I had that passion for it. So I, so it was always something if I didn't know people or then I just go play basketball Yeah, and I entertain myself and in fourth grade we lived in Virginia and we knew we were only going to be there for 10 months because my dad did an internship with the National Association for Secondary School Principals and there I lived on a blacktop um, Mm -hmm. and I would walk four blocks get to the blacktop and play with the guys in fourth grade and I these guys were high school age I'd be up there trying to get and I was all I would come home with skin knees and somehow they'd let me in these games and I just you know it's was just constantly playing and um and i just had a passion for it yeah so i just think and then but back then you just you know you girls weren't just playing pickup games and right weren't, exactly video even and,
0: today it's not it's not very common you
1: know, exactly and so um you know it's really you just kind of to be great at that during that time period you really had to be self-made you had to be self- driven. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there weren't personal trainers and we weren't lifting yeah. weights, maybe a little, I lifted weights in college, a little bit in high school, but not seriously. And, you know, there weren't nutrition plans, mm-hmm. there weren't agility and, you know, performance coaches and life coaches, <laughs> yeah. or psychologists, and, you know, there was none of that. You just went out, you worked hard. And, right. and I think my parents really instilled the values of, you know, is that growth- uh, mindset yeah you know there's the fixed mindset and there's yep. the growth mindset, and I think, without a doubt, they instilled in all of us kids uh, in our family that you know the harder you work, the more successful you can become. It's not yeah. a guarantee but if you work really hard and you have good values, good things will happen for you, and um, so I just you know I believe the harder I work, the better I 'd get. Uh, I set goals. I had goals and mm-hmm. I worked to accomplish those goals. And I think that's goals were good motivators for me. That motivated me. There's something yeah. internally that motivated.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there definitely is. And I, and I think the, I think first of all, you said two things. One that resonated with me um, very much was the fact that um, basketball was a way for you to fit in. Um, I experienced that firsthand. You know, my dad was in the military. We were hopping all over the place for a little while and, um, I never processed it that way but it's so true that basketball is a scapegoat was a scapegoat goat for me one but it's it was a way for me to make friends and connect with people that obviously I wasn't um close to uh, just because we had moved so I thought that was really cool but um the second thing is is goal setting and I think that's an underestimated uh thing that kids do or don't do enough of. I think they have that, you know, that thing right in front of them, but I don't feel like they're very specific about those goals, um, and I think that's why it's so fleeting for them.
1: Right. I I think goals are really important, and we've kind of gotten away from it. I think because we're so with social media now. Oh, yeah. Instantaneously, right? Yeah. So you go. Now I, I want to be just as good with my left hand as I do my right hand. So I'm going to do these three drills or I'm going to do two ball dribbling or I'm going to do this. And then my left hand will improve. And then I could, you know, you can feel yourself getting better as you do those those drills to work your skill set. So I'm big on goal setting. I had a goal to play basketball at Nebraska. I had goals. um, You know, one of the things my dad said to me in high school, and I never forget it um, is he said, well, if you want to be a college basketball, you got player, you have to know how to run. And I hated to run. And he's like, hey, you got to go out for track. If you want to be a college athlete, you got to know how to run. And you got to go out for track. And I went out for track. I wasn't great at it. Um, but then I found my niche in middle distance. And I actually was the distance runner and went to state in track. And the mile and the two mile at various points. Mm-hmm. Not all in one season. But on a relay, eight, a two-mile relay. And then my, after my sophomore year, cause I was injured with a hip pointer, I decided to, my dad's like, well, that's great. You're running distance, but he's like, if you really want to be good, you should run 400s and 800s or 200s. Mm-hmm. Well, I was way too slow to be a 200. <laughs> I couldn't be a sprinter, but I, so I started training with the middle distance runners, my junior mm-hmm. and senior year of high school. And really I didn't run in that many meets cause I was playing AAU ball. Um, but then, so I, tr- I ran middle distance, I trained middle distance my junior and mm-hmm. senior year. And w- the mental toughness, and I was running with guys cause there weren't that many girls out for track. So i run, our middle distance coach was girls and boys. So I had to, yeah. I was last, every workout <laughs> I finished last cause the guys were smoking me, but I didn't care. Yeah. And you know, we had times we had to hit too. Um, but it made me more competitive. <laughs> It made me um, tougher mentally because I knew how to run, mm-hmm. and I had. And then it built my cardio and my endurance and my leg strength, and it made me a better basketball player when I got to college. And we did a lot of track workouts during my college preseason days. And um, I don't think if I had run track, I would have survived or been as good uh, in those workouts had I not had that background. So now, as a coach, I always ask basketball players do you run track um,
0: <laughs> yeah I bet
1: um, but they all specialize now they all play yeah. in this oh, yeah. in schools and so I love asking that question because the kids that run track there's there's always a mental toughness with mm-hmm. them that separates them from those that don't not always oh, absolutely but typically those sprinters or those middle distance or hurdler um yep. You know, like Maddie Simon. Maddie Simon was a hurdler in high school. and Yeah, and, I actually and, remember that. Yeah, she was yeah. really good. And, and she had a resiliency about her as a player. Um, and obviously, she Maddie wasn't a star player. She was a really solid college player. Mm-hmm. And she had injuries. Um, but there was a resilience about her. And right. I think that came from that track background.
0: For sure. No, yeah. I, I totally agree. And then on the other side of it, Um, There's a conditioning component to it, too. Um, I was talking with uh, Tanya Warren, and she had talked about, you know, some of the things that kids walk on campus not prepared for, and she said number one was conditioning Um, because it obviously changes who you are as a player when you're tired. It changes who you are mentally, your decision-making, all that stuff uh, becomes a a factor. It drops a level when you get tired. So um, I could see the track side of it, like you're talking about, that mental barrier. Uh, as an individual, being challenged there is, is tough because you're out there on an island sometimes um, with those races that you're out there in.
1: Yeah, it's you and the clock. You and <laughs> yeah. your That's right. really what it is. Right. Say, you know, and then, you know, we talk a lot about positive self-talk and, you know, what are you telling yourself? Are mm-hmm. you are you nice to yourself or are you beating yourself up? Oh, I can't do this. This is so hard. Or am I like, my tank is full. I got this. I can do this. And I think it's, yeah, it's a mind, It's just that mindset. So.
2: Absolutely. Uh, is. Okay.
0: Um, yeah. So, yeah. all right. So now that you um, had a chance to be a player and you experienced playing professionally, uh, when did you decide and, and why did you decide that you wanted to coach?
1: Well, I went to college thinking I'd be uh, a teacher, a high school teacher and a coach. And then in my college days, I, I loved my college coaches and I had such a great college experience and I had some tryouts with USA basketball after my freshman year, actually after my senior year of high school and then after my freshman, at sophomore year, I made a team, uh, the sports festival team went to North Carolina, competed in the, the first year the Dean Smith Dome was, oh, cool. that was really cool. Um, and... I realized I wanted to work with a little bit more serious athlete and mm-hmm. I love the co- the competitiveness of the college level and the college athlete and so that's really at that point I said you know what I really I want to be a college coach mm-hmm. um, and and at that time I thought recruiting would be really cool and um, I just had really good role models in college so I that's really what took me down that path and then because I was on a little bit of a non-traditional academic path at Nebraska where I left after my fourth year because I hadn't graduated to go play professionally in Germany. When I came back, I was gonna go two semesters and student teach in the sprint, or, um and I was just gonna graduate with a degree but not be certified to teach and go right into trying to be a college coach. But at the last minute I got cold feet because I wasn't finishing what I started Mm. and I set out to be a teacher and I always thought, you know, I need a backup plan. If I don't, if college coaching doesn't work out, I I can be a teacher. So I went ahead then and student taught in the fall and then things just kind of fell into place because I got a teaching job in October at Omaha South. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of that school year, then I was hired at Iowa state. So you know, I was a little bit nervous about doing the student teaching and then I was going to graduate in December and then who hires teachers in December? (laughs) Like I was really nervous about that and, uh, you know, I was living on the money I made in Germany and I was on my own. Um, I was independent from my parents and um, so I was, you know, I had some anxiety and nervousness about that but I just kept working and grinding and and then fortunately, you know, I had a really good relationship with my academic advisor and she recommended me for this job at Omaha South. And, um, and honestly, Chevy, I was a pretty average student. It wasn't because I was Einstein. <laughs> <the class. laughs>
2: um,
1: but she liked me, I guess I have likability. And yeah. so, um, you know, I was taking that woman donut, Pat Sims, I was taking her donuts and, you know, bagels. Whenever I had my academic appointments with Set, her, and setting
0: yourself all the way up.
1: <laughs> I had to. I had to compensate for some of the Cs I got in school. So, um, yeah. So Pat Sim recommended me, and that's kind of how I got my start. And um, and then I went to Iowa State, and I worked for a woman who was an assistant coach at Nebraska, who I played under. So she hired me. Okay. And so that's how I ended up at Iowa State. I was with. Tracy so were you?
0: An assistant, right off the bat.
1: I was um, the restricted earnings assistant. Okay. So Back in the day they had the restricted earnings coach, which meant you know I think I made I made twelve thousand dollars to coach. Oh, nice. <laughs> Five thousand dollars, and I taught weight training.
0: Wow. Yeah. Okay. I know. Crazy. Hey, however, you got to get in, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, <so> I left <laughs> Omaha South. I uh-huh. was making twenty three thousand to teach and coach there as I was a JV girls coach at almost out and I was a teacher and I took a pay cut to go be a college coach at Iowa state. <laughs> that is
0: crazy to think about. That crazy? It is wild.
1: I was at Iowa state for two years and then I got hired, you know, I had to work it to get the Nebraska Kearney head job, division two head coaching job. At I was 25 years old. I got hired. Wow. But I was getting ready to get promoted at Iowa State to be a full time assistant. And I was going to make $32,000 at Iowa State. But I left Iowa State to go to Nebraska Kearney to be the head women's coach there to make $28,000.
2: So I could be head
1: coach. Yeah. So I I never, (laughs) I think my parents were looking at me going, what? But I didn't in that era, you didn't think about much, you know, you, I just wanted a coach. Uh-huh. And then, oh, I can be a head coach. Um, and so I took, and I always thought Carney had a lot of potential and they mm-hmm. built that new facility. The health and sports center was brand new. They were going mm-hmm. into D2. It was a really good time to be there. And so I just looked at it as a great opportunity. I didn't really care. I just was coaching and it was yeah. basketball and let's go. And That's so awesome. I, that's how I ended up at, at Nebraska Kearney.
0: So yeah. were you nervous, like going from being a restricted, restricted assistant to all of a sudden now you're leading your own program?
1: Yeah, it was, um, you know, it was a little bit, you know, everything happens fast. Mm-hmm. And then I got hired in. My first day on the job was the first day of school in August. So I got hired late. They had other candidates. A guy took the job. They already, they, first of all, they wouldn't interview me because they said I had no head coaching experience and no master's degree. Okay. So I didn't even get an interview. Well, they interviewed three people and the one they hired, a week after he got hired, he faxed them a letter of resignation and <laughs> said, I can't, move to, I can't move to Kearney, Nebraska. So then I got a call the first week of August and said, you're one of two, we'd like to interview. Can you come back and interview? So I went back and interviewed and then I got the job and I started like August 26 was my first day wow. Yeah, so you, I, I'm not sure, I think it was finally in about November, I realized that I might be in over my head <laughs> and I, <wasn't, laughs> I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, but you can't admit that when you're a head Oh,
0: yo- of course not.
1: So, no. I spent a lot of time on the phone with my former coaches, college mm-hmm. coaches, and anybody that would talk to me so I could learn. And because at that point it was at Kearney when they hired me back then, this was 1994, I was the head coach and I had an assistant that made $6,000. Oh, wow. That's it.
0: That's great. Yeah, I had
1: no full time assistant, I had no GA. Nothing. I had a part-time okay. assistant who was really kind of like a graduate assistant. So now, as my eight, I was at Carney for eight years, Nebraska Carney for eight years, mm-hmm. and by the end, I had a full-time assistant and a GA. Okay, which happened about my fourth or fifth year. But my first three years, it was myself and a, a part-time assistant, basically.
0: Wow. So you were yeah. brand new to it, and you had to be super resourceful.
1: <laughs> exactly. I mean, we were writing and stuffing envelopes and calling. Yeah. Games. Email was just coming in, and so we had to figure out how to do that. And yeah. it it, we bust everywhere, and, um, you know, and we, we, fortunately, I walked into a pretty good, I inherited it, some players, but then I had a player by the name of Jennifer Warner who transferred from Iowa State. She was a, basically became an All-American point guard for us. She got her junior and senior year, my second and third year there. And then we had a really good recruiting class and you know we went from 17 and 11 my first year to 26 and 5 to 28 and 3 uh, and then we never i mean i don't think we ever lost less than maybe 24 or 25 games and that is crazy nationally ranked teams and um and we did it all with nebraska and iowa kids basically yeah did you
0: did you coach uh jessica kudrowski
1: i did so jessica i inherit i didn't recruit her but i inherited her she was a freshman when i my first okay. year
2: okay Okay, yeah,
1: I'm her Janelle Marotsky, Um, but oh yeah, Jessica and I—we still keep in touch to this day. Oh, that's
0: awesome. She coached. Yeah. She was in a, uh, like a volunteer coach for my high school team at Bellevue East. His buddy Carlisle was yes. something was happening. I can't remember what part, what part of his career he was in, but I just remember she had a little extra time, so she came to help. And I just remember she talked about. Well, Coach Bleach would always talk about Coach Jess and how good she was yeah. at Carney. Um, but that's crazy.
1: She was really good. good And she's a big reason, a big reason why we were so successful.
2: Yeah.
1: Jessica was kind of our four and we had Janelle Morosky was our five. And then we got the transfer, Jen Warner. And we didn't lose a conference game in, in, in Jessica's sophomore and junior year. We did not lose a conference game. We went 19 and 0. Um, maybe we went 17 and two her senior year but we won the, we dominated and um wow. yeah we we in a lot of what jessica was she had the great step through great mm-hmm. shot three-point range i mean um yeah I, I loved coaching jessica she was she was a competitor uh-huh. um, you know and 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 that was back in the day where you, you we were on the bus and we we had these 10 to 14 hour bus rides and we uh-huh. come back in the night and We'd watch movie. Jessica's reason I still have the Sound of Music soundtrack playing through my head because those women watched the Sound of Music so much. I know it's so cheesy, but so much on our bus trips. It was. I mean, we we had some. We played pitch in the back, and mm. we drink Coke and eat pizza after the game. So, like, <laughs> can you imagine your team that? And now here, I have a Pepsi, Coke, oh Gatorade. Like, <laughs> but it was relationships that you built. Yeah. I mean, I I probably have some of the, my best former player relationships are from my Nebraska Carney days. Mm. The kids were just. They're not kids. Those they're all women. They're moms. They're, you know, um, you know, some of them because I was twenty five, so they're in their forties now, like yeah. mid late, you know, for yeah. early forties to, to late forties, um, and so, like they they they're just fantastic people, and um, yeah, that's yeah, just- I, I
0: wish. I wish I would have. Uh, we underestimated Jess, Coach Jess. That's for sure. <laughs> we didn't know. We she was she's so nice and like super sweet. So we we knew she could play, but they, when whatever we pictured, it probably wasn't even close to reality.
1: Exactly, and she's so skin, She was so skinny. Uh-huh. Like, she, never, like, she didn't. She hated to lift, and uh, <laughs> but she she had skills. I mean, she had basketball skills and she had uh-huh. basketball and she and she loved to play she was really really good division two she could have easily played division one um and i don't i didn't recruit her so i don't really know how all that played out but um she made a great she was one of those players that could definitely could have played division one but made an amazing decision to go d2 yeah and i mean basically in her career she maybe well her first year like i said we were 17 11 and um, and then, you know, we never, the rest of her career, we lost, you know, maybe five games.
0: Jeez. Yeah.
1: yeah I mean, choice. I remember the coach being really upset when we'd only win by 15. That is That's how crazy. crazy. That was. So what <laughs> happened, we were so dominant in those first few years during Jessica's career that then sometimes we, cause we had a home win streak of like a hundred uh-huh. some games at Nebraska Kearney and um but people were we were up 10 before they even threw the ball up for the jump ball because people were just psychologically oh god we gotta go to carney <laughs> you know like that it is was, awesome. he had such a mindset I, you know and it just there were a lot of things that came into play with that but it was a really cool it was a really fun experience to coach there yeah really great players i mean it was really fun you know when you win yeah (laughs) heck
0: yeah no that's that and that's a good example because i think a lot of kids they get a lot of pressure like we talked about before from social media to pick the biggest brightest flashiest school that they can um, and they're not really processing what that day-to-day is going to be like um, whether they're going to be an impact player or developing the right system all that other stuff kind of goes by the wayside when you can get all the retweets and and likes on your Twitter post, and you commit.
1: I think I, I wish uh, parents and, and athletes getting recruited would, if there was a way to not drink that Kool-Aid of bigger is better. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's like, if you could, I always say, whoever's recruiting you, if you've got more than two or three schools recruiting you, let's say you got six schools recruiting you, take the highest level and throw it out, and take the lowest level and throw it out, and whatever's in the most in the middle yeah. is probably where you should go play. You yeah. Know, if you've got nice. one 2 one power five school, but you got a bunch of mid-majors, you're probably a mid-major player. Mm. If you've got low mid-major, high D2, and maybe this, and maybe something lower, Well, then you're probably at low D1, and then you got to decide well, maybe this really good D2 school is better than going to this low D1. And so, and what's my experience going to be? And am I really going to play? And, you know, and what's my education going to become? And all these things. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we get so caught up in the material things that come with being recruited at a high level that, but then kids get there and they're like, "Well, I'm not playing." And
2: yep.
1: it's all yep. basketball, and it's there's less balance, and maybe I should have done this. And then yep. you get kids transferring, and yeah, so I I don't know. It's it's but it's hard when you're in the. Mo- I think it's hard for parents and players when they're in that moment to not get swept away. Oh, in.
0: absolutely, it is. Absolutely, no. it is. And yeah, I I think the transfer portal is the biggest indicator of that being an issue. Um. I'm not sure what it would have been like back in the day, you know, without all the social media yeah. and pressure. But I, I do feel like there is a less genuine approach when it comes to the kids experience with their recruitment, because again, they just have so many outside pressures. Right. Um, you know, you're when
1: you're, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got to talk to, go talk to this person, you know, and then the guys game, it's really bad in the women's game. It's getting there, but yeah. Um, yeah it's 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 yeah it's just out of control
0: (laughs) I just can't I I can't handle the idea that there are handlers I mean nothing against anyone but it's just it's just a very interesting as a player I would not want someone else dictating my conversations with my future because I'm the one that's going to be there (laughs) so anyways
1: I, I think too um yeah, I totally agree with that. And I, I think too many people chirping in student-athletes' ears and influencing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they lose that. What's in the best interest of this young person? Is it Maybe it's not for them to go to school A. that They should go to school B because that's a better fit academically and basketball-wise. Right. Or, no, this, this school's a better fit over here because they have certain things – that are more conducive and I, but I just think, you know, it's just so easy to lose perspective on all that. For and sure. then the wrong people start influencing and I I've seen it over and over and over again where we're, and then you see that player who picks this other school and then they end up transferring. Yeah. And the transfer now is nuts. I, <laughs> it's crazy. I, mean, I think there was over like a thousand. Yeah. Last it, year.
0: it is, it keeps just going up. Every time I hear the number, it gets higher. Um, and that, that new rule is going to be interesting too.
1: Yeah, and I will give a shout out to um, Coach Flannery and and you guys, your Creighton and the staff because the the fact that they have such a low transfer, if at all, like I I don't I saw Linda tweeted something about ten years no transfers or twelve yeah. years something insane, and you're like, is that real? And you're like, oh, it's Linda. That's Linda's my girl. Of course it's real. <laughs> I'm like, that, that should be, that, that should be a signing bonus. Bruce Raskin, give him a pay rate, like, and that staff, like that is talking, those women are having a great experience at Creighton, and and that, that is a really, really good thing, and, and obviously they're doing, doing something, you guys are doing something right, recruiting, because Mm -hmm. you're going after values in these players that they're loyal to the program and the coaches and and um you know those relationships are solid that when things get tough oh they don't just leave they're sticking it out and they're playing right. and they're competing and right um that's not happening that's that's like that's like what two, maybe two percent of division one programs if that one yeah. person maybe yeah
0: yeah it's it's crazy it's crazy yeah. I think so, yeah. in, once you get going, I think it's easier to keep it going because you do have, I mean, Flan says it all the time. You get, you have juniors and seniors in the locker room who've been through what the sophomores and freshmen are going through. So you have someone directly to relate to. Uh, whereas if you lose those kids, you lose those upperclassmen, those freshmen are talking to other freshmen and those freshmen are talking to sophomores where they haven't experienced as much. So um, it was kind of like a snowball effect. I think on top of the fact that obviously Creighton's a great school, Flan is like, the ultimate players, coach, all that, um, but it helps that locker room is really important. I know you know that, um, yeah. so that that was very very critical to that to that stat for sure. Um, okay, so you said you said something um, about I'm trying to think like how how you processed like your new job as the head coach. You know, oh, wow. you had um, the six thousand dollar. Right, <laughs> <laughs> assistant coach,
2: <laughs> younger than <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> and then that was your first head coach job, obviously, ever. Yeah. Um, so you were dealing with a lot, you know, fewer resources than maybe other programs were dealing with, but um, somehow you figured it out and you guys were really successful. So, as a high school coach, obviously, they are dealing with some of the issues from a resource standpoint or. Um, you know, staff is not obviously getting paid that much money on top of the fact is that they have families and they have, you know, their actual teaching jobs. Um, so they're having to navigate a lot of different things when they put together or put their staff together and come up with plans to be a great program. Um, so I want you to put yourself in the shoes of a high school coach, um, maybe just beginning and... Kind of think about these questions as if you were in their situation. Um, so the first one I have for you is, what would your philosophy be with your staff and their roles, um, and how would you assign their roles, knowing that you have to navigate their their personal uh, schedules?
1: Well, the first thing, first criteria in hiring staff that I would look for one is they've got to be positive, energetic people. Mm-hmm. They've, they've gotta, and they've got to be excited about kids. If they're not excited about kids, you don't want that person that's just there to collect a paycheck or get a little extra cash because they're coaching. Um, so if, if you can find I, – I would rather have somebody that knows less about basketball but loves working with kids and is high energy and super positive. Mm-hmm. I think that's really, really critical in coaching young people today. Um, then the second thing I would start to do as I put my staff together was then I would try to be self-reflective in saying, okay, what are my weaknesses as a head coach? Okay, what am I good at? But what am I not so good at? Um, whether that's organization, or I'm not a good offensive coach. I'm a better defensive coach. Or um, you know, I'm I'm going to coach the guards, and I need somebody who can coach the posts, or vice versa. And then start to say, okay, who, what can these assistants do? And what are their strengths? And then I would feed their strengths with those responsibilities on staff. Mm. Uh, And then help them grow in the areas that maybe they need to be better at, especially those assistants that aspire to be head coaches. So, um, and that, so that's really how I would structure my, my staff. And then, you know, if I'm at a high school coach, at maybe a smaller school or maybe a a class B or C or D school, then I'm really trying to get into the elementary schools. I'm trying to get myself shown and visible within the fifth, sixth grade, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, get a little peewee basketball program going, making sure I have influence um, over my middle school coaches uh, in terms of teaching the fundamentals, teaching them how to shoot, Um, and maybe some basic offensive concepts that would transfer when they, when those kids then get to ninth JV high school basketball. You've got a little, so you create a little feeder system for your high school program. Now class A that may be more difficult to do in terms of, I'm not sure how the bigger schools in Omaha work with middle schools. And if it's open enrollment now, I I don't, I'm not Mm -hmm. familiar with that, but you know, if they could do that in those middle schools that are feeder systems to their program I would be like do it in a heartbeat yeah Um, so I you know that's how I would I would structure it you know as a college coach I always tried I tried to hire people that were smarter than me and that had strengths that I did not have and especially I I wouldn't say I was a great offensive coach Um, I, I was good in situations and I think our teams always felt confident down one up one You know what I felt? Kids were prepared in situations because we worked on situations in practice, Mm -hmm. Um, and I felt my strength was on the defensive side of the ball. Um, Though in nine years at, at Drake, by the end I had turned the defense over to an assistant because I had that much confidence and faith in him. And I really credit that last year going to the NIT to to Kurt Crawford because he did such a great. He was better than I was at coaching the defense, and the players mm-hmm. loved him.
0: Okay.
1: About, and so they responded to him, and they, they gave us everything they, they had. So, you know, you can't be so insecure or, or so fearful to turn stuff. you got to empower people when you're a leader, and I think – but there's a f- level of security that you have to have to be able to turn things over. Yeah. Um, and people have to be, be – they have to, when things are turned over, you got to do a good job. Mm -hmm. You got to be passionate about it and you got to deliver. So it's, you know, that can be a little bit of a fine line. You got to let them make mistakes. Can't interrupt them every five minutes. You got to, you kind of got to turn them loose and guide them and support them. And, um, and then that's how you get people invested in your program. You know, if I I just did everything as a head coach, people are going to get bored and they're not going to be invested in, Um, your program and so I think when you can get that staff investment and buy-in it's so powerful on a staff and I know you worked on a staff like that
2: yeah because
1: it shows in your camaraderie it shows on the sideline players know it um and it's more fun all the way around I think so um so I think those are some basic and I always had staff responsibilities very well outlined from dress code um, to, you know, being on time to, you know, here's your role in terms of your recruiting, your post coach, your offense, your, mm. um, you know, okay, your defense, your rebounding, your whatever. And we had very specific – every coach had responsibilities during practice. And, um, um, and so, uh, you know, I had to let them – I had to turn up, you know, position work. I let, had to let them run drills, you know, just tried to include them as much as I could. And obviously I always I always say, well, I have the, I have the trump card um, in that, um, you know, I could veto, maybe veto yeah. is a better word right now in the political <laughs> landscape. <laughs> I don't want a trump card. Veto power to be able to, you know, um, say, hey, let's do this or let's do that. But yeah. Um, you know, I never, I never. Um, you know, we always had staff meetings. We went on the court, and if I didn't agree with something, I never brought it out during practice. We always mm-hmm. talked about it before or after practice, mm-hmm. and we'd hash it out in the office. So when we went in front of the team, we were always on the same page. And
0: yes, that's you know. that's that's really really powerful um, because kids are kids are not dumb. You know, they notice any of those little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they almost look uh, for it you know they like I, I can imagine high school because <laughs> I was uh, that way as a as a player you're like ooh, is that was that something I just witnessed there um so you got to be careful and I think that that's really important to the it's not the ego of the assistant but just to their to their growth to know that you trust them and that you're giving them something that's really important to your team's success um so I think it empowers them to actually
2: work harder I think,
1: I think the reverse is true if if coaches are working for assistant coaches are working now I'm an assistant so I spent 17 years as a head coach and then you know now the last eight years or so I've been seven years I've been an assistant coach which I absolutely loved. I love both roles there's less pressure as an assistant um as an assistant, you have, I think, better relationships with players. It's easier to have better relationship with players. For sure. You're not doing the disciplining or the heavy lifting.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but I do think assistant coaches also when, you know, I know uh, at Memphis, I get a lot of um, responsibility on the defensive side and I work with the guards. But I'm also very conscientious to make sure I'm doing things the way my head coach wants them done. Yeah. Very conscientious to say, is this how you like it? Is this what you want? Are you okay with this? Um, and I'm extremely respectful because it's how I would have wanted to be treated if I was a head coach. And so yeah. I think you can't go rogue when you're an assistant. And I think, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's a if you really empower them and then they go rogue, yeah. you're like, why did I just do that? So you, yeah. you know, your staff is a team within a team. And when you're not a team as a staff, Chevy you're exactly right the players will pick up on it I don't care if it's high school or college they'll know and they are not they are so smart and so sharp and so intuitive that I think sometimes maybe we think we could fool them and you can't fool kids they know (laughs) they're too savvy now like they they're growing up faster in some ways um because of social media but then in Mm -hmm. other ways you know they're there's they're Emotional maturity is a lot lower than what it used to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: um,
1: it's interesting, but they're sharp and they they know when things are off. Um, Yeah,
0: and and that that can that can hurt your program in a heartbeat um, when they pick up on that. I
1: think you, and I would suspect this to be true in high school. The higher level you go in college, the more important your staff is because you get more you get more pay. And so you should have good staff. But I always said at when I got to Drake and when I watched Connie at Nebraska, I was like, you're only as good as the people around you. If you mm. don't have good assistance and you're at Creighton or Nebraska or, or Drake or St. Louis or what Memphis, you're only as good as your staff. Mm. And um, cause there's a lot more, they do a lot more recruiting. There's, they're just so much more, impactful and I would think at the high school level the higher level you go the more important your staff is mm-hmm. um possibly I, I you know and if you're at a, if you're at a smaller school and you have a great staff those schools probably just rock it because oh yeah not all the smaller schools maybe have the resources or or the people power to be able to to have great coaches all the way around so right. it's um you know, but if you can get a great staff at any level, you you have a chance to be really successful because you can take average kids and make them way better. Yeah, You know, you can can coach them up, you can skill them up, you can, you know, you can teach and those kids can over achieve um, with the great staff. And, you know, obviously talent is, is a factor too, you know, if you have great talent, but um you know, you, yeah. So I, your staff's really important. It's really yeah.
0: Important. No, it's huge. And I like the breakdown of of the energy, the importance of energy over their skill. You know, overall skill, because you're right with especially on the girl side. I mean, I'm sure that there's there's a lot of carryover on the boys, but um, your your energy that you're bringing on a day to day basis is is a huge factor in how much they're going to get better that day in that practice. Um, so if you have someone that's making it a positive environment constantly, those kids are probably going to retain a lot more every day, um, which is obviously going to lean into their, their development as a team. So um, I like that. So when you think about a practice, um, I, I, I'm not certain on the general rule for high schools, but I would assume that they can't practice for over three hours. What, what would you do and how would you shape your practices? Um, even just from the planning standpoint, like would you have your assistants do part of it? Like how, how would you go about doing that?
1: I, I, um, I would always plan my own practices. However, we would practice meet, and then, um, and then at that point we could change any drills. And then after practice, we would meet and I would ask for feedback. Or I, I would always, during the day, I might say, before I put a practice plan together, I might say, what do you guys think we need to do? email me your thoughts or come talk to me about your thoughts on what we need to do in practice Mm. and then i would take i'd have my own thoughts and i'd take all those thoughts and that's how i'd formulate my practice plan typically a typical two two and a half hour practice for me on a plan would look like the first warm-up stretch and then the first segment was some type of fundamental work footwork ball handling passing warming up like like you know three-player weave yeah some conditioning with a ball full court in their you know in their hands they're not thinking a lot they're just getting their mind right and getting going um, and then the next segment would be defense typically like to do I like to do all, most of our defensive stuff early and then transition to offense okay and then somewhere in there we always did position work minimum 4 days a week Sometimes if we could, early in the season, we would do it every day. Mm-hmm. So, Position coach would get 15 minutes and um, then they would start their, you know, player development segment. Um, and we took great pride in our position work. And, you know, at Creighton, you know, when they were in the Valley and Drake was in the Valley, you have to develop players. You didn't get right. the superstar all the time. Right. So we knew we had to take – Rachel Hackbarth is a great example. Mm-hmm. Um, Rachel was a six two, six three post player that could not run down and back in eleven seconds for freshman year without dying. And by the time she was a senior, she was the Missouri Valley Player of the Year, and she was a post player, back to bucket. And she had, you know, a Sigma series. She had. A face-up series. She had a back-to-the-bucket series. She had a high-post series footwork. And she mm-hmm. could step out to the three-point range. yeah, 18 feet. I was really comfortable with her shooting. Yeah. And she could grip drive left or right. But she didn't come in like that. Right. But we had um, Todd Voss. And Todd was her position coach. And we had, a, we had a plan package on how to develop post players. And they followed that to a T. And Rachel did her part, which was her off-season work mm-hmm. and extra work before and after practice. And, you know, you player of the year doesn't happen by not working. And so no. um, she made herself a really great mid-major college player and um, had a great junior, really into junior and then into her senior year. Mm. Uh, you know, so that development piece is really my point, is developing your players. And when you're at the mid-major or low d one or even D two, you really have to develop your kids. And um, because you don't know, you know, you, you, you get that kid that maybe doesn't have a left hand. If she did, she'd be at a P five school, you know, get a six, one kit tweener that, you know, has to develop face up skills or, or back to the bucket skills. Like you
0: you
1: melt or a three guard that can't shoot that you're trying to get
2: to be guardable.
1: you know, or, you know, shooters that aren't great drivers. And so, now you know, you got to make them drivers and right. pull up plays and add something to their game. And right. So that development component needs to be part of your practice plan,
2: mm-hmm. I think.
1: It's in high school, too, I would think high school, if I were a high school coach, I'd be doing fundamentals. And then I'd be doing my defensive concepts out of the shells, a lot of shells. Right. Because you probably have less time than maybe the college to really break exactly. it down, one to close out and things. Yep. So I do a lot out of shells, and then, um, you know, and I, I one of the things I took in practice planning that I always thought was one of the best things I ever heard about planning a practice from Pat Summit. I watched it on a DVD about practice planning, and she said, "You do your staples every day." So, like for example, if you have motion offense you're going to do motion offense every single day what's your zone offense every single day what's your man defense zone defense what whatever your press attack like we sometimes struggle so this was influential for me with press attack we started doing press attack every single day and we start we did it for 12 minutes and we had um, a press attack for a diamond we had a press attack for a 2-2-1 and we had a run and jump or man press attack we had three different press attacks and we start with four minutes on our man four minutes on our zone four minutes on our run and jump um and then you know started five on zero and then we throw a diamond press a two two one and then a junkie man and then pretty soon we were we were doing those things every day for 12 minutes boom 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 Mm -hmm. and by the time That because that was became one of our staples, we did not want to not be able to handle press, and so um, that to me was like, What are your staples? Do them every if you're gonna play a lot of three two zone and man to man, then that should be in your practice plan every single day. And it doesn't have 20 minutes, maybe it's maybe it's seven minutes, maybe it's 10 minutes. I I don't know, maybe depending on the amount of time, every day is different. So, um, but but we started that early in you know october and just carried that through and then it just shortened the time would just shorten as we got into season season. gotcha the other thing we did was early from october november december and mid-january was a lot more defense and then in january we'd shift to way more offense so we wanted to be ahead in our defense and behind in our offense and I don't know if that's good or bad. It probably just depends on <laughs> the Um I'm working for somebody now who's much more offensive-minded. So there's good and bad to both. So you got to find kind of what works for you and what right. your philosophies are and things like that. Sure. So um, okay. I was much more defensive-minded coach than I was offensive-minded.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, we're definitely the complete opposite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you're, if you're a high school coach getting that practice plan together and you're kind of putting your staples in like you're talking about,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, typically a school or a team only has like one primary score, maybe two. Um, and talking about that development aspect, because every single kid there isn't there who, you know, wants to play at the college level. So you're dealing with a handful of kids who really want to play at that next level. How do you come up with a development, you know, plan for kids like that? Or do you focus on those, those one or two kids who are your primaries, maybe instead of going for an hour and a half or I'm sorry, two hours of practice you you know what I mean? You try to manipulate your time with those kids.
1: Yeah, it's tricky. I think when, when you have limited scores on a team in basketball, it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, especially you know at the college level because people won't guard those people right you know and yep. so um you have to get creative in ways to score so i think you you know in high school um it's i and i think I would do it you know when I was at Drake I ran a lot of sets and um and i think I would do it differently now offensively i think i would have Emotion offense complemented with sets. Um, and I would want my other players to still feel like they can score the ball. However, in situations, I would also want them to know exactly where we want the ball and who gets the ball <laughs> yeah. in situations. Right. Uh, it's not free for all. You know, if, if we're going to a big on the block and they get slammed with a double team, then they have to be able to make that read and kick it out. Mm-hmm. And if somebody, you know, is is wide open and it's their shot then they got to take that shot i'd be okay with that shot um so i i think you know you have to it's a fine line because if you try to run like i did at moments you know 20 different plays for jill martin (laughs) you know people will start to really you know you go okay if you shut down jill you beat drake and so you've got to you know you still have to create a little bit of balance and keep the interest of the other players. Right. Um, And I think as a high school coach, you have to be even more clever about that because, you know, you also have to deal coach, high school coaches have to deal with parents, Mm -hmm. more, you know, kid issues. I I just think they have way more to, I I really admire high school coaches because they have to manage, you know, I think sometimes more than college coaches had to. Yeah sense because of Mm -hmm. the outside forces that be so I don't know if I'm really doing a good job of answering your question I I just think you have to disguise and be creative and because there's different ways to get the same person the ball but yet you've also got to find the strengths of your other kids and put them in a position to be successful and right I think whether that's maybe you know one year I think it was when you were playing Chevy we were playing you guys in, at Drake and Creighton, and we we lost. We got all these injuries, and we went to the flex offense. Mm-hmm. Like, all of a sudden, we scratched everything we were doing, and in January, we went to the flex off. I don't know if that was during your era or not.
0: I, I feel I feel like it sounds very familiar. I feel like I remember I, running we, into
1: – started a, running the flex offense, and, uh-huh. you know, and that, that offense got us to the NCAA tournament, mm. and we put in new wrinkles because we didn't have – we had one kid who could shoot the three. So we said, we're going right? yeah. yep. to run it inside 18 feet as okay. fast as we can run it. And then we put a little ball screen back, you know, ball screen back pick. Yep. And, um, <laughs> and, and we we <laughs> caught people. We had an element of surprise because people were like, what? They're, we didn't see this. And,
2: yep. and
1: then, but, right, what's flex? Layups and elbows. Mm-hmm. And then we just shot elbows and lay, and layups. You know, Lindsay could fade and step back to the three, right. but that was really our only three. We had a point guard that couldn't, sc- couldn't score, really, a 15-footer, sh- a Kanisha, A.G. Uh-huh. shoot. Uh-huh, yep. Yeah, I remember all that. We had Tori <laughs> Runner, we had Brady yeah. Dale. we had kind of some misfit in terms of, because like, we were so injured, Right. and we said, let's go to the flex, let's yeah. do it. And I know people thought I was crazy, but I was like, we got we to get to 60, if we can't get to 60, we can't win, right? And so I know yeah. we can go, but can we get to 60? And so um, that's what we did. So, right, everybody can shoot an elbow jump shot and everybody can shoot a layup. So, And then we just started breaking it down and making reads and our our players were really smart and they picked it up fast. And it mm-hmm. ended up being a really – Lauren Dibbing. I mean, Lauren Dibbing was amazing her sophomore year. Um, at the end of the season, she was – she ended up having a really good, uh, actually, she was a junior. And then her senior year, she had a really good senior year too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, you just try to find things that are going to that are the strength of your players and then, and then put them in that position. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cause so, I think it's easy to have what you think you want to do um, and try to force that template onto your players. When in reality you have to watch and learn about them and figure out what's going to be the best for that, uh, for that group of girls. So,
1: or
2: boys. Um,
1: And I think a lot of, I think you're exactly right. And I think, um, you know, I found myself as a coach being that coach that took our kids' strengths and tried to put them into an offense. So Mm -hmm. I really did, I was an emotion offense coach. And we did, because I felt like recruiting at Creighton, you guys did such a good job recruiting for that system. It seems Mm -hmm. like, where we recruited, but we just recruited what we could get mm-hmm. more like we would try to get obviously the best players, but then we'd get this kid that maybe, uh, you know, couldn't drive left or we, or didn't have a great outside shot or, but they were a great defender. Like Kenesha was a great defender, right. Monique right. Jones, a great defender, right. um, but not great. Maybe we had to develop them offensively. So I wasn't afraid to do that. I wasn't afraid to do that. Maybe I did that too much. You can't do that too much because you've got to have shooters. You've got to right. have kids that plan the block. You know, you've got to have a variety of, of things. So, so I was, I developed a philosophy that, well, we'll create a system for the players that we have mm. um, or that we end up getting because, oh, we didn't get this top kid, but we got this backup kid and she, we got to develop this part of her game. And so we'll put her in this position to help her be mm. successful. So I had more of that mentality than say, okay, we're going to, you know, go four out, one in, bomb threes and wrap around the post. And and then, you know, if they can't shoot the three, we're not recruiting them. And so we had, you know, and I, neither one is right. It's just, you know, in college it's goes to, well, how well can you recruit? Right. Yeah. You recruit yeah. The best players. They you help
2: know,
1: Yeah. It helps a lot. Right. <laughs> and if you keep them healthy, I mean, yeah. if you stay healthy, you can, be really competitive, so, right. you know, um, so it kind of depends, everybody's philosophy, you know, I think it's something, you know, my philosophy just evolved, and I was fortunate, because I coached at a division two school, and it wasn't really under the microscope, and so I got to make a lot of mistakes at 25, mm-hmm. 26, 27 years old, and and then kind of evolve as a coach, and then, and that's really how I got comfortable coaching in situations, and our Carney kids were like, Two-minute games. We did a lot of one-minute games, two-minute games, two-for-ones. Um, and then I'd be like, well, run this play. Oh, coach, we don't like that play. Okay, well, what play do you like to run? Oh, okay. All right. Well, then I started getting caught, you know, by the time I was at Drake, I'd be like, down one, you know, maybe we took a full time out. I'm like, okay, guys, we got a score. What do you want? What do you guys want to run? I wasn't afraid to ask them. What do you want? What play do you believe in? Mm -hmm. And it was amazing what they play. I would never pick. They'd pick. They'd go out and run it, and we'd score, and boom. So
0: Who who, um, picked the five-point play that you guys had at the end of our championship (laughs) game?
1: (laughs) Oh, that was – we called timeout and drew that up, Chevy.
0: (laughs) I want to know who came up with that
1: one. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was – (laughs) <laughs> that was, the basketball gods were looking upon us that night.
0: <laughs> What's so funny is I was talking to my husband last night, and I don't know why we started talking about it, but we did. And he was like, "What? How do you how do you get a five point play?" I'm like, "I don't know. I'm gonna ask Amy tomorrow."
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess she released it and then most of the screen. Unbelievable.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um,
1: yeah. <laughs> June, June Corgo was the ref on that, that made that call. Do you remember
0: that? <laughs> I that do. Was- <laughs> I remember that like it was yesterday. Amy, I was in three championship games where we lost. Valley uh, Conference Championship losses. And I think the com- the the combined score or the s- combined uh-huh. difference was like four points. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a great, great experience, but, you know, that's uh, obviously still a pain <laughs> For me, it's deep, deep wound.
1: You know, uh, after we won that game and went to the NCAA, um, you, you, there were so many great people on your guys' – we had great kids, and you guys had great kids. Yeah. You guys pulled huge upsets against Indiana State and Illinois State to get there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We were, you know, a hodgepodge of injuries and beat Southern, the one seed, and then beat
0: yep. – Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: You know, we
1: had it was a really – climatic it was crazy we had a great crowd and
2: mm-hmm.
1: but i remember al i remember um Allie uh thrall missed those free throws like what yeah. are the chances she's gonna miss those free throws
0: unbelievable
1: yeah and i just remember after the, i was excited for our kids and i was obviously we were static. We we're going but i called Allie the next that night i think it was that night i got her number and called her and left her a message because i was like you know Nine times out of ten, you're going to make those shots, and that yeah. game doesn't come down to those two free throws. Like yeah. it I can't imagine. Even. No, can you imagine? No, I felt. I still felt so bad for her. I do.
0: I know. Like, yeah, you
1: know, could be anybody. Yeah. We all. Yeah. Know, we all dream of being in that situation, but then you don't know how you're going to do. any yeah, it's, just, yeah. it's Yeah,
0: yeah, that was that was a crazy, crazy time. I yeah, heard I, heard I heard felt heard. terrible for her after. I I, I remember that vividly. Um,
1: and we uh, what I remember in that last minute like we I think we had to get it was so low scoring and I think we had to get like five defensive stops mm -hmm. in the last minute to hold on to win and of course that was a source of pride for me because I'm a defensive-minded coach yeah what are the odds that 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 you guys weren't going (laughs) to score like it was such a it Low was a wild. It was a battle, right? It was. You, when that five-point play occurred, we were down ten. Yeah, you were dominating us, or felt, you know, in, the, in yeah. that yeah fifty to fifty-five game, a ten-point lead's like a twenty-point lead. Oh, I
0: know, I know. I I definitely cannot put myself get myself to watch it, but yeah. just even thinking about it, it it was a bizarre game. Uh, very yeah.
1: much so <laughs> that was definitely I mean people say it I know they were like whatever we're reminiscing here but people are, I'm like there really shouldn't have been a loser in that game we <laughs> <laughs> have?
0: Have had a large. <laughs> we needed in that large bid for the yeah. MVC that year <laughs> exactly. exactly. make us feel yeah. better um okay so kind of going back to the high school situation as far as like um design your practice um you talked about the staples And you talked about you hit on when you were at Drake, you guys went to a flex offense and you said it was layups and uh, elbow shots. Right. Um, So for your practices, were you very, very particular about like, for instance, like if you have a certain set that you're running, you guys aren't just running that set and calling that, you know, the five on zero. That's you guys are good. You guys are actually breaking the pieces down within the sets. Is that right?
1: Yes, if we had a con what I could, like, I consider flex a continuity offense or a motion offense or a triangles offense, we, without a doubt, we're breaking those down and we're doing drill work. And mm-hmm. even in some of our sets, you, you know, if it's a strong side triangle or like a flex cut down screen stagger, stagger screen flex stagger, mm-hmm. we would break those down into three on three or four on four and we would work uh, certain things and reads and counters and we would say okay defense switch okay play straight up Mm -hmm. um, or switch guard to guard post to post so Hmm. we would teach that's how we would break those but you know if we're running so the more breakdown I think you can do I'm big on whole teaching whole offense part whole so you okay break it down and you teach it Um, and then a lot of times with our sets so our continuity type offenses we would break down and we do a lot of drill work and reads and then our sets we might i'd just pick 5 to 10 sets for one day in practice and we'd say okay for this 15 minutes we're going to execute our offense against our scout team or whoever our team is you know we might do like offense to defense or we might do odo and we'd say okay. i point guard okay point guard you've got these five calls or if it's a day before the game we probably weren't doing a lot of full court we're just doing half court execution working on timing cutting and you know maybe we just run through the half court line and then we're good so Mm -hmm. um, so it it kind of varied but yeah we would try to do breakdown drills of our offense and um, you know a lot of two a lot of like guards trying to feed the post yeah Um, you know, in the early parts of the season, guards are terrible about. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, though, right. I totally
1: do that.
2: Field,
1: pass the wing, feed the post. And you're like, the ball never gets to the post. It's like, guard, feed <laughs> the post. You know, can't score until the post touches the ball. Yeah. You know, we, we would do, um, you know, if we do anything with a ball screen action, then we're doing a lot of ball screen. Um, like at, at Memphis, we run a wing ball screen offense. So we do some type of wing ball screen almost every day. Okay. Read, various reads, yep. switching, hard hedges, um, soft hedge, uh, icing. Um, you know, we, our kids, we have a whole series of things, you know, where, where with postcard work that we go through where they have yeah. to make moves. So yeah. we do a lot and of them. I would think
0: that, I would think that that would be very, very effective for a high school coach. You know, like even if you, kept your playbook simple but you like I like what you said you break it down and then you tell your defense to show different things okay. um and I think that that's critical because it allows for your players to make reads instead of kind of being doing the robotic slash you know just kind of lack, lackada. I'm sorry lackadaisical um right. reads you know like the things that they know are going to be there versus um any adjustments that they might see to be able to actually have a reaction um so I think that would be pretty effective for a high school coach to implement something like that pretty consistently, right?
1: Yeah, it would be. And um, I'll tell you, one of the best offensive coaches I worked with in my coaching career was Dana Finch, another Creighton. I don't know he's what it hey, is. Hey, Creighton. so smart. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, I should have gone to Creighton. Um, <laughs> No, Dana was so good. She was our offensive coordinator at Nebraska and she was so good. Um, she and Connie developed this whole drill package. They had them on laminated cards mm-hmm. and be switching. You re here's our drill package for switching man defense. Here's our drill mm-hmm. package for sagging. Here's our here's our drill package for straight up, man, no switch. And you know, it was they had counters and it was, you know, it was Uh, you know, this primary offense, it was a continuity offense. It was sliced and slew and it was a high two, three offense. And um, they just had it down and we had, you know, we, Chris, we had the 10 scout guys so we could run. Yeah. You know, we could run three baskets of drill work of going over reads and footwork and Mm. it was really, really, really good. So, um, so the, I think the more you can teach your kids, the more you can drill. Um, and then as you get late in the season you're playing more games and maybe you don't have to do as much drill work, you do more five on five things. Um, but I think early in the season is that drill work is really important. And, and then ha- getting your kids to understand that this is a breakdown of our offense. Right. And how that applies. In the why component, I think is really important in teaching and, um, and and then especially teaching those reads of the
0: yeah. and, um so yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And I and kind of just to I guess make it more um, I guess the 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 plays more impactful. Um, the players that you're setting these plays for. So say we're kind of like we talked about earlier. You have the one or two primary uh, scores. What do you do with them? Because you say they want to play in college one day, um, and and you kind of hit on the fact that you, you want to make sure everyone's feeling included and, and important in the offense. But obviously, you do need to have those kids prepared to take the brunt of the work offensively. Um, what do you do with those guys as an extra or as something to prepare them for college-level basketball?
1: I know when I was at Nebraska, Coach Uri, um, some of our younger kids – when they did when they weren't playing as much,
2: they would have
1: to stay, and I don't know if you can get away with this at the high school level or not, but and do twenty more extra minutes of running the offense or mm-hmm. going ODOs, offense, defense, offense, and they'd go against the guys. So if you can, you know, get that extra 10 minutes, maybe maybe it can't be 20 minutes. But what it did was it got those players extra conditioning it got them more reps in the offense that maybe they weren't going to get in a normal practice. They hated it, of course. Sometimes they felt picked on. But when a player got injured, they were ready to go. Mm. And they they knew what there was going on with the offense when they were in there. So I think um, – and that happened, you know, we had the four seniors my first year back to Nebraska with, like, Haley Sample and Emily Cady and T. Laudermill and Brandy.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, You know those guys had a lot of experience, and they had great chemistry, Um, and so we had to get those other. So it would have been easy to just kind of put those other players to the back burner, but Connie was really good about having them stay, get extra reps, Mm -hmm. and then you know when Rachel Terrio got hurt, or or uh, you know then then Natalie Romeo was ready to go and and jazz sync got some really quality time down the stretch and um there were some really good things happening because those players continued to develop because they stayed extra and got those extra reps right right so yeah it's, I, it's
0: crazy what the little 10 minutes will do every day
1: it is and it's i talk a lot about the accumulative effect
0: yeah you
1: know with our current team like we do Ball. I'm in charge of the ball handling before practice or after we warm up stretch. I always do some ball handling, dribbling. And I'm like, don't waste these three minutes. We got three minutes, and I want the three best reps or the three best minutes you can give me right now. Don't mm-hmm. turn your goal next three minutes, don't turn the ball over. Mm-hmm. So I'm always constantly challenging them because I'm like, it, by the end of the week, we're going to put 20 minutes of ball handling in, and you're either going to get better or you're not. Yeah, not getting better. is not. And so you think, oh, 20 minutes. And then all of a sudden, that's, that's like, you know, times four, that's 80 minutes this month, this month we spent on ball handling. And then that's 160 minutes. And I mean, all of a sudden, you put in hours of ball handling. And it started with three minutes. Yeah. So, you know, it's a cumulative effect. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Yeah, I like that.
2: Yeah,
1: I like that, so and
0: it. I think that that's um, I think that's powerful from the standpoint of just understanding like how, how hard you're going, um, is is gonna get compound like like you're saying cumulative effect, compound effect, um, that stuff is it it, it pays off in the end because that stuff gets easier and you can go harder and harder and harder and it's 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 huge for for development. Um, okay, all right. So um, for for your for your leadership, you kind of like we talked about. You said. Make sure that those two kids are the hardest workers. And sometimes your primary scores aren't the best leaders. Um, but what have you done or what have you noticed has been the most effective um, in building leaders in your locker room um, that you think could be applied to a high school program?
1: Well, we always say whoever, you know, whoever runs the locker room runs the team.
2: Mm.
1: So you've got to know as a coach who's running your locker room and what's 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 the culture of that locker room? And then when you do pinpoint your leaders, I just think as a coach, it's imperative that you spend time with those players outside of practice, building a relationship, getting to know them beyond basketball, and, and then start planting those seeds of what you want your culture to be within your team and what are your, those core values. So I would – if I was a high school coach, I'd have – three to five core values five might be too many, but I'd have three to five core values. And then I'd just start working those players over about, these are our values and include them. in how do you think we can incorporate this in our practice? And how, how can you guys lead this, um, these values within our team and talk about them and they should know them and they should be able to recite them. And, um, and I think um, the and that just takes time. It takes yeah. time and exam. It's, it's relatable. Coach giving them relatable examples and fun examples, um, things that interest them. Uh, so they 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 look forward to coming to see you eighth period to talk about whatever it is you're going to talk about. And in the beginning, I wouldn't talk about anything except them and their family and their goals and how mm-hmm. school going. You know what's your boyfriend's name and whatever. How's this or how 's that, and then, from there, I would start to progress into you know tell me what you want from the season and and what's that going to look like, and how do we work as a unit and what challenges do you guys see, and how are we going to you know um, get through those challenges and just include them in every single discussion and um, just continue and then give them responsibilities and practice. You know, you're leading stretches, you're running the ball. Like when we do, um, just stationary ball handling, I don't run the ball handling. I always bring a player out to run the ball handling. Mm -hmm. So any chance you can put that player or I'll say, Maddie, make two teams, give me two even teams. The more we can put them in leadership positions to run the team, the better. So I would just, I would just find anything and everything leadership wise, and it's all over the internet. You can just Google leadership you know, yep. or John Maxwell, or, or, or uh, oh, I can't think of his name, uh, John.
0: Uh, Gordon?
1: Yeah, John Gordon, exactly, like, yep. he's all over the place, he's got, right. I feel all his stuff, um, <laughs> he's got great things on leadership, and, um, you know, I think, yeah, I think it's probably harder at high school to find relatable examples, maybe in basketball, because maybe not all the kids are watching the NBA, or the WNBA, right. or even college, so, but they don't necessarily have to be basketball leadership doesn't have to be basketball related. Um, it can be, it can be other examples. It can be an inspirational story. It can be, you know, it can just be anything really um, right. that, that, that a coach thinks will connect with young people. And, mm-hmm. um, but I, it starts and stops with rela- the the relationship that you can build with those kids and that building that trust and, if you can get that to be genuine and authentic, then I think, man, you're going to definitely be headed in the right direction. Yes.
0: I I totally agree with that. You know? Okay. So we're kind of hopping back to um, the staff and roles um, for, from a scout standpoint. So you're scouting other teams, um, put yourself again, obviously in the, in the shoes of a, of a high school coach, how would you, divide up the scouting roles would you just take it all over yourself and kind of just do it a, a collaborative effort or would you kind of divide it up how would you approach scouting and, and make it the most effective with their time
1: well if I was a high school coach I, if depending on my staff if I had a really good staff I'd probably divide it up um and then and including myself I, I wouldn't just did it out I, I would also be included in that and then you know, and then once they've scouted, come back, discuss. Um, and I don't, I don't know if they – I assume they don't exchange game film in high school. Or they maybe they haven't They,
0: they kind of do. They do. There's, there's a huddle. There's huddle. So they all post all their stuff on yeah. huddle.
1: So I probably now – I mean, just for time and family, I'd probably watch a lot of huddle. I'd probably do it all on huddle. If all those games are on huddle – I'd, I'd watch that. Um, I don't know if high school you can really – probably depends on how good your team is that, you know, if you've got a better team, you probably can do more prep and they'll grasp the concepts of yeah. things that you're doing. But I also think, too, you know, get good at, get good at what you do. Uh, sometimes I think we focus so much on what our opponent's doing. I think you need to be prepared for things like presses are they going to run man or are they going to run zone but if you're doing those things if those are your like a press attack and a zone offense and zone yeah. man offense if you're doing those things every single day that's part of to me that would be if I was a high school coach that'd be three of my core staples that I'd be doing um you know then you're going to be prepared right for even when you don't know somebody throws something new at you right so, right obviously scouting helps you that much more, but I would definitely use huddle and I would, and I would divvy it up, but I'd also watch, I mean, I think as a head coach, you have to watch a lot of film for sure, you know, but, but I also think, you know, a lot of high school coaches have families and kids. Yeah. And so, um, so I think, you know, assigning some scouting responsibilities to your staff is really important. Mm-hmm. I mean, when, at the college level, we rotated it every with three assistants rotated. Um, but I, you know, I had to watch a ton of film. Yeah. Uh, and that was for me. I wanted to feel prepared. I wanted to feel like I knew what I was talking about when I delivered something to the team. So um, I tried to empower the staff, the staff presented all the scouts and things like that. But on game day, I needed to feel like, okay, I think I needed to have a good handle of what, you know, a team was going to run. So Mm -hmm. I do think it's important in any leadership role, you need to be the hardest worker. I mean, I don't think head coaches can be lazy. I think the head coach has to set the tone and has to work just as hard as their staff. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I like what you talked about because I think, I think that, you know, you get in the college mindset where it's film, 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 prep, prep, prep. And there's, you got more time for that because it's all you're doing. But as a high school coach, a way that you can kind of negate that and, and, and not have, you know, your day filled with watching film or your nights filled with watching film, you can, like you said, have your staples and that there's only so much high school programs can do, you know, so if you're press attack ready and your defense is solid and a lot of that stuff is negated, um, you know, the stuff that you don't have to prepare as much on film. You can get the general and still be pretty successful.
1: And I think you know, they're a little, like, you don't know if somebody's going to throw a one three one at you or yeah. a half-court draft. Um, but I, I just think, I think it goes back to those staples. I think that's one of the best things that I wish I would have learned earlier in my career. Mm-hmm. These things, because sometimes I would just wait. I would wait to the week before, two weeks before. I'd only run zone offense if I knew an opponent was going to run zone that week. So then that week we'd run our zone offense. Um, where let's say we're playing two teams in the weekend and they're playing man. Well, we run man, but we're still going to run zone because if we kill them in the man, they might go zone. Yeah. Even though they're pretty much man teams. Like, we knew Creighton was never going zone, but but you never know, right? You never yeah. know. Like, you want to – and I think, um, I think that helped us be better earlier in the season once we started going to that because we were better at running our zone. We were better – in fact – I just got our head coach at Memphis. We just, we've already got our man offense in. we got our zone offense in. And we're actually doing, we've already got our zone defense in. So I'm like, now we can break it down and we can get more reps and we'll be better in November or, well, now December. Mm-hmm. We've, we started it early. Yeah. You know, you know, versus waiting and not getting maybe the reps and not being as good at it. So yeah, I, hope, I like I that. Hope that this Yeah, I like I love I love that, and um, but it's hard because you're like, oh, we got so many things we got to get better at, and right. Um, but that'll come as the season progresses, I think. Right,
0: right. So now so. I, I like that a lot because you're you're putting more ownership into your development as a team, versus depending on some you know scout things that are going to go like this. Um, exactly. You're building more consistency with your program. I like that a lot. Um, okay, so. Uh, now this is the last question. Um, you got to give one of your funniest stories that you've ever had <laughs> at the college coaching level, whatever level, it could be Omaha South, who knows, but, um, you got to tell one of your funniest stories. It could be a recruiting story. It could be in a game, whatever, whatever you think of.
1: Oh my gosh. <laughs> funniest, funniest appropriate stories. Um, Oh, gosh. Funniest coaching stories. Um, I have a lot of stories. Uh, we, when we were we were playing in the NCAA tournament, and we had a mixed staff, male-female staff, and the players had – it was five minutes to go, and we had just done our last raw speeches, all that. Players went out on the court. We were playing Tennessee and we're nervous. I mean, the coaching staff, we're still, we're playing, you know, Pat Summit. they're ranked number one. They got Candace Parker, um, Anna Anisecki. Uh Anna guarded, it was six five and guarded our point guard. <laughs> Couldn't see a rounder, <laughs> you know, um, but with coaching staff, so we're in the locker room and, and, um, Everybody's got to go to the bathroom before we, you know, cuz we're 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 more nervous than usual. And I have my head down and one of my assistants forgets to lock the bathroom door. Oh, so God. there's doors and I had my head down and I went kind of head first into the door. Fortunately, he was standing up and had his back, but I hit the door hard enough <laughs> that it, like, kind of, and then I realized that it was this male assistant, and, of course, I, I, I didn't, I don't scream, I'm not a screamer, but I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, and then, you know, scooted (laughs) over, and, We started giggling about that and we could not stop laughing. And so we and we have to now we're almost late getting on the court because the time's running down to like you know 20, 10 seconds, whatever. And so, um, to this day, this assist I won't say his name, but we still laugh about that because we were just he was so nervous he forgot to lock the door i was so nervous i had my head it was like it was it was, it was the blunder of the blunders and that's uh, hilarious first across you know the male female thing and all that yeah. stuff sort of but it was, that was that was pretty funny and um,
0: yeah tennessee i'm sure will do that to you
1: yeah tennessee has a chance to do that now we did a pretty good job in that in the first half um mm-hmm. You know, we were only down thirteen at half, but then you know, they came out the second half and I think they got a pretty good butt chewing at half and they came out the second half and I think we didn't <laughs> score the first twelve minutes of the second half. Um but uh it was a great experience and it was it was pretty awesome to be in the NCAA tournament. Oh uh, heck so. yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, I would take that every I'd take that all day.